Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I have with me Monka Perconte and Rob Sheffield and David Fear. And today we are going to talk about Rolling Stone's list of the greatest music videos of all time, which we posted for the anniversary of the birth of MTV. And it's a really fun list. As all our lists are, it's inevitably controversial, even amongst our own staff, so there's stuff to argue about. But I thought we'd start by talking about music videos themselves as a thing. And this is a very Rob Sheffield topic. I want to start with you maybe, Rob, and just talk about sort of the birth of music videos as a key form, the birth of MTV, and what that meant, good and bad, for music. Broad topic for Rob Sheffield. Well, before MTV began on August 1st, 1981, music videos were something you occasionally saw on shows like Solid Gold. You know, if if Billy Joel didn't show up, if he didn't feel like showing up and singing, it's still rock and roll to me, he'd send like a little video of him doing it. And... (laughs) Videos had a really small place in the promo scheme of things. MTV was this channel that was 24 hours a day. They had 24 hours to fill, and not many big deal established stars made videos. So MTV was forced to play crazy stuff. They were forced to play all these crazy androgynous new English bands who had videos. They just made videos. MTV was forced to play all this stuff David Bowie did. MTV had to basically come up with a new conception of what rock and roll was. It it saw itself as a rock and roll station, but of course the really famous established rock stars didn't have videos. So that's when bands like Depeche Mode or uh, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark or Duran Duran started selling records in the U.S. and nobody could figure out why. It's because of these towns that had cable. And if you had cable and you watched MTV, It was the dawning of a new world because you were exposed to all this edgy, experimental, adventurous music that you'd never hear on the radio. And Mankapur, you're young enough that your experience of music videos, I think, is really mostly post-MTV. I I, I could be wrong, but tell me about your personal adventures with music videos as a music fan growing up and if MTV was ever a factor for you. Yeah, so I was born in 1993, and so I, in my childhood and my adolescence, MTV was still showing music videos. It wasn't like ridiculousness over and over as I hear is happening now. Uh, and so I w- in the mornings, so at the point that I was watching MTV, there were still scripted shows, there was True Life, there's the reality TV, but in the mornings for sure, there was definitely music videos being shown. And then on sister networks on Viacom, like VH1, um, I remember watching like The Fray, that's how I got into The Fray, like watching VH1 music videos early in the morning. And so it was a, a huge part of my life, but really rather than MTV, the anchor network, I remember the video networks that appeared on digital cable. 
when I was in high school. So MTV Jams and then um, similar channels like BET had one, VH1 had VH1 Soul. And I would spend weekdays um, when school was out or maybe in the summertime with my cousins and friends watching music videos, them learning dance moves, me watching them learn dance moves. So and then now my experience, just like all of ours, is mostly watching music videos online. But I was definitely able to enjoy part of the televised portion of the music video journey that we've all been on. David, as a excellent movie writer, movie editor, someone who, who's deeply invested in filmmaking, how do how do and how did the art of music videos kind of fit into your framework. Right. So uh, I'm a I'm a gentleman of a certain age. So when <laughs> when, MT, when, M, when MTV when MTV started, I have a very visceral memory of being at a friend's house. I guess it was about a month after it launched and them having the channel on kind of the way you'd have the radio on. And as a young kid who was already incredibly obsessed with movies and already like someone who listened to a lot of different radio stations. I had friends who, I grew up in the Bay Area, and there's a, there's a very huge classic rock presence, or there was at least in the 70s, uh, on FM radio, but you had a lot of soul and R&B radio stations as well, and those had very strong frequencies. They were all coming in from like San Francisco and stuff. So there was this incredible mixture of music coming in that I was listening to from all different sides, and that made me kind of a, a, a musical omnivore as a kid. So, cut to, I'm in a friend's living room, and the TV's on, and there's movies of the songs that I hear on the radio all the time. And it was like this mind-blowing kind of Big Bang experience where I was like, what is this? And they're like, oh, it's MTV. It was the first I'd heard of it. And um, I remember giving videotapes, because, long story short... The way California was set up, there were some blocks that had cable and some blocks that didn't, and I was on a block that didn't. So I would give friends videotapes, and they would basically fill eight-hour videotapes with eight hours of MTV. I wish I still had those. So for the first year, I was like I was getting these videotapes in the mail from friends that were like eight-hour transmissions from an entirely different world. I was suddenly hearing music I wasn't hearing on the radio yet. I was seeing bands in a visual sense that I wasn't getting elsewhere because, you know, when you're 10 years old, you're not necessarily going to um, a lot of stadium shows, per se. And uh, it was mind-blowing. So for me, it was an incredibly formative experience, and to actually see these two obsessions that I had kind of melded together uh, was life-changing. And it was also interesting to just see what music the you know MTV would play and wouldn't play, and what artists kind of got left behind and what artists got pushed to the forefront. It was fascinating, and I can't emphasize how formative it was to me in terms of, like, later taste-making. I think people don't talk as much anymore about the influence and interplay of music videos with filmmaking and how it changed the, the visual kind of vocabulary of generations of both viewers and, and, and filmmakers. Maybe you could dip into that. And in some cases, you know, there's major directors who got their start with music videos. I think of uh, David Fincher, I guess, and, and, and other people. So, so, and then, uh, you know, Brian De Palma directing uh, the Dancing in the Dark video and, and apparently telling Bruce to dance like that. So there's all sorts of, <laughs> and, and perhaps his greatest horror movie was, was that moment. But maybe you could dip into that, because I think that's an interesting and lately unexplored topic. Yeah, I mean, it became a, a two-way street. For some people, I think of like Russell Mulcahy, 
who directed the Hungry Like the Wolf video, which is an incredibly cinematic video, he parlayed that into a, a, a film career. And then you've got you know people who are already established filmmakers, like you mentioned Brian De Palma, Jonathan Demme, who would kind of come in and do these works for hire the same way that a lot of directors would do advertisements. But because it was this weird thing where the stakes were enough that you could get a budget for it, but still low enough that it you know, you could you could play around with it. It became this kind of experimental laboratory for a lot of folks. And that's where the sort of quick cut filmmaking that we associate with MTV comes from. And that starts to bleed into the big screen in ways that have a lot of critics at the time kind of wringing their hands over like, you know, no shot's going to last for more than 30 seconds. This is like attention deficit, you know, filmmaking. Um, it's going to completely change how the audience receives information and watches movies. And yeah, there, there was a lot of worry that this was going to erode the vocabulary of cinema, but the fact of the matter is, it's just like anything. You can go back to the Russians in the 20s, and they were doing quick-cut kind of stuff. And there were a lot of cineliterate, pardon the big word, a lot of cineliterate uh, people making music videos who were happy to like steal from those people and, and use that kind of stuff. But when it's being put into the mainstream, when it's being broadcast in your living room, Suddenly, this entire cinematic vocabulary that a lot of you know suburban kids watching this stuff had never seen before were getting turned on to the idea that like editing's a tool, playing with rhythm and filmmaking and image is a tool, and that's fascinating. I mean, that affects generations of filmmakers, not just people working in the '80s. Yeah, the first time I saw Ingmar Bergman's persona, I couldn't stop thinking, this guy must have seen MTV. Somehow, like, you had a time machine, you know, like, we used to 80s, 90s movies that look like MTV, but as you pointed out, like, it was a fusion of these languages that had always been part of, always been part of the film vocabulary. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that Scorpio Rising is a music video. Battleship Potemkin, you know? Battleship Potemkin. It's the same kind of cutting. And a lot of these things are being, you know, Martin Scorsese having Harvey Keitel's head hit the pillow and, and Be My Baby comes on. It looks like a music video in, in miniature. And obviously that started happening too. There was this weird crossover where I keep thinking of the, the Maniac video, Michael Cimbello's Maniac video from Flashdance, where it's essentially scenes from the film being cut together as a music video that's really just a film that has music videos in it. So we got MTV late on my block and cable late on my block, just as David was reminding me of the ancient days when uh, when there were, you know, there were places where you couldn't get cable. It's funny that the big cities got it last. So they'd be like, okay, why are Depeche Mode's selling in Des Moines? You know, why, why are Duran Duran selling in Cedar Rapids? And eventually they figured out it's because New York and LA were, didn't have cable. As a small child, I was not, uh, I was sort of alienated by the freaky new wave stuff. I just like, it just was too weird to me. But what I personally responded to, and this brings us to our list, uh, was Michael Jackson. Probably most of all, a video that uh, is not on the list, but you guys had your reasons, which, which is Thriller, which absolutely rocked my world, became an obsession, and I watched the making of Thriller videotape like possibly a thousand times, but also beat it and Billie Jean. And, and Billie Jean is the one that's, that's on the list. And of course, I mean, you know, MTV early on, and there's a wonderful clip of David Bowie directly challenging MTV about this, was not playing videos by black artists. They had... Well, that's not true. Oh, okay, sorry. Well, they, they weren't playing enough videos by black artists. I think we can agree. MTV was the only uh, nationwide rock and roll network that had black artists in the mix, and that was a huge part of its appeal. 
It was the first time that Americans got a chance to see artists like Grace Jones or Joan Armatrading, who did not exist on the radio anywhere. First time they got to see reggae artists like Peter Tosh or Bob Marley, who was played constantly in the early days of MTV at a time when there was no radio format that would play Bob Marley, strange as that seems now. And so it was amazing to see also artists like Prince. Prince was making the 1999 album at a time when he became obsessed with videos on MTV by bands like Duran Duran and Depeche Mode, you know, New Romantics. And obviously he dug that visual fashion aspect. He dug the music they were making. He felt a common cause. And just because this network existed that had black artists in the mix, he set out to conquer MTV very self-consciously with his masterpiece album, 1999, which in many ways you can say is the first directly MTV-inspired masterpiece that, you know, he set out to make an album that would conquer MTV, and he did. The 1999 video instantly became just ubiquitous on MTV, and uh, he became MTV's first American star. And there was something about the early days of MTV where something like that could happen, that an artist like Prince who wasn't getting played on any radio formats at all. 1999 was a song that you know, did not exist on pop radio, did not exist on R&B radio, was considered out of the question for rock radio, which is insane. But Prince saw MTV as a place that was open enough and evolving enough that he could take over MTV. That's why Prince became an MTV star before any other radio format would play him. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Adidas, Walmart, Nike, Wine.com, Samsung, Lenovo, Sephora, and more and even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. You know what, Rob, I I think the point of contention here, and you even mentioned this in your write-up, I forget which exec. It might have been, was it uh, it the guy who just died? Yeah. Yeah, it was was Walter Yetnikoff, claimed that MTV in a racist move, in his claim, was reluctant to play Billie Jean. But I guess what I didn't realize is there's people at MTV who say that he was just, that actually they were eager to play it and he was kind of just trying to claim glory for pushing them to be less racist, but actually it was a non-existent controversy. Is that, is that sort of your, is that yes. what you were sort of uh, pointing on? God, God rest this man's soul and, and bless him. <laughs> yeah. you know, the, man died two, the man died two years ago, two days ago, and you're calling him a liar, but yeah, no, God. <laughs> uh, uh, he, um, uh, as you know, the Godfather said about Santino, he, he was a bad Don, may he rest in peace. Um, but uh, he was very fond of telling stories where he was the hero. He loved those. Uh, Walter Yetnikoff had more of those than anybody in the record business, which is why he lasted so long, uh, despite the fact that the first thing he did every morning was uh, drink a bottle of vodka. He was uh, a famously wild guy, famous rock and tour, and he was very fond of telling stories where he was the hero. And this is a story that... Uh, is contradicted by everybody else who is paying any attention. A story that does not hold up to a minute of logical scrutiny. Uh, when you consider that this was CBS Records and how many divas he was responsible to, it's just not a story that can be taken seriously as anything else than a great old uh, rock and tour telling a story where he's the hero. Just I, I guess people like the idea of every story having a white hero, but if, if this is a case where. Michael Jackson made a video and the guys at MTV, they, they saw it and, and they were completely blown away by it. They started playing it right in the middle of the week. They rushed it on the air. The timeline seems to bear out MTV's version of events for sure. But Billie Jean was a video that completely changed MTV. The first time you saw it, you had an idea that somebody had seen this music format. You know, and this is quite a few months after Prince was on top with Little Red Corvette in 1999. And then Michael Jackson was somebody who just saw music video in this completely expansive way. He, he went to director Steve Barron because he loved the Human League video for Don't You Want Me. Again, another great example of like a big uh, African-American star taking inspiration from the English New Wave stuff that was on MTV at the time. And Billie Jean was just a video that once seen, never forgotten. Once you saw it, uh, the world didn't look the same and music didn't sound the same. Why isn't Thriller on the list? You can say. <laughs> it's not a music video. It's it's a 14-minute John Landis movie. It doesn't even have the complete song in it. It doesn't even have an excerptable four-minute music video inside uh, the 14-minute movie. Uh, John Landis, in the great MTV oral history, I, I want my MTV, John Landis explains why Thriller is a really bad song and why he didn't want to use it in the movie because he thought it just ruined his little movie. So he used as little of it as possible, and the part he used, he mixed it up. He had it remixed, so you never actually hear 
the song Thriller in the video for Thriller, which I would submit is a very basic requirement for a music video. It was a very successful promotional VHS cassette, and I'm glad it sold as many as, as it did, but it's, uh, it, it's not a music video. You'll notice there are a few artists, Madonna being the big one, where there's more than one entry of hers on this list, but they were we were trying to sort of like limit a lot of stuff in, in the idea of spreading the love around, of being like, okay, well, we could make an entire list of nothing but great Prince videos or great Madonna videos or what have you, but like, let's spread it around a bit. And when it came to Michael Jackson, there were, there were sort of two discussions going on. One is a discussion that everybody's having right now about separating the art from the artist. And the second one was, um, if we are not going to put you know, five Michael Jackson videos on here, which we could have, um, what would be what would be the one that we feel is most representative? And that really came down to, to Billie Jean. It's nothing against Beat It. Um, I'm kind of with Rob on Thriller. I think it's a better miniature John Landis movie than it is a music video in a lot of ways, even though it changed the game. But when you, when you just look at the seismic impact of something like Billie Jean, it couldn't not be on the list. And... It, it, you you can't erase it from the discussion of music videos as both an art form and an art form that has an evolutionary arc. Uncle Pro, were you gonna were you gonna weigh in on that? Yeah, I mean, just I think the list. One of the things I really like about it is it seems for as a metric for a lot of us was impact and how this video because there are so many artists that have an incredible catalog of music videos but really what was what was the video that created a moment was like sort of the criteria that I really appreciated about the list because there are so many especially like in hip-hop videos on the list that I'm like I remember exactly where I was like Tierra Wax Whack World I remember being on Instagram and seeing 15 one-minute videos or however many have you one-minute videos and never having seen anything like that before. And so, I mean, I wasn't around for Billie Jean, but like I, I can imagine, and from what I'm told, that this was the moment that really shifted music videos for Michael and for so many other people. But I mean, Michael is definitely controversial as far as like appreciating the art, like let alone the awful things he's been accused of. But like I grew up watching Michael Jackson music videos on VHS. My dad had a VHS of a bunch of them. And my favorite was Leave Me Alone. And I think everybody has a different Michael Jackson video that is their favorite if they are really like deep into the work. Let's talk about number one on the list. Number one on the list is a great video. And it's, it's sort of after the great age of music videos. And I, I think it's even more of an achievement that it broke through the noise this late in the game sort of in the post-MTV era, and it is, of course, Beyonce's formation. Haters corny with that Illuminati mess. Paparazzi, catch my fly and my cocky fresh. I know you didn't write that up in the piece itself, but uh, Monka Purr, do you want to start on that one? Sure. Brittany, I believe, wrote that up she and did. did a wonderful job. Um, formation, for me, is really, really powerful I think really because of the setting of New Orleans and Formation being a video and the song being a song that encapsulates the power and resilience of black people and black women in particular. Um, I think setting that in a place like New Orleans, that's not only one of the greatest music cities that we have in our country, but a place that has suffered at the hands of our government's cost and our country's constant 
mistreatment and devaluing of Black lives and Black people and rising up and thriving and surviving and being limitless in spite of that. So I, I think Formation is really powerful for its setting. I think it's really powerful for Beyonce being a mainstream artist to, in 2016, start incorporating the themes of the Black Lives Matter movement into her work and being not just a mainstream artist, but the mainstream artist and choosing to sink a cop car and show graffiti of a spray painted wall saying, stop shooting us and really change the way that we think about police, I think, in music and in popular culture. I, I, I think it was really brave of her. And there was backlash, you know, police unions were protesting Beyonce. And um, I sometimes question if everything about it is as radical as it could be. And I think that we have artists that are really, um, like if you take like a no name, for example, dipping into making art that really pushes boundaries as far as like radical thought. Like I don't think all of us aspiring to be Black Bill Gates is like a particularly radical thought, <laughs> but I think that Beyonce started to really push the envelope at a time where there is this socio-political upheaval and choosing to be a part of that rather than run away from that was really brave. Yeah, it inspired the, I was just looking at this Saturday Night Live clip. Uh, it basically, it's like the day white people realize Beyonce is black. Uh, so, so, it's, so it's like this, you know, but, but she, yeah, the bravery of going from someone whose dad was probably telling her for years, don't take any political stances, you know, just be, and just taking on that mantle is, is, is not to be underestimated. And then just more broadly, I would say one of the things, the main things that's so incredible about Beyonce is in an age when it felt like the super ambitious, super expensive music video was a thing of the past, she was like, no, it's not as long as I'm still doing it, you know, and so she just does them the same way that, you know, people might have thought when people were saying the album is dead, she's she makes some of the most coherent and ambitious albums. So it's just sort of that that standing against the, the tide in some ways artistically is just one of the that's why Beyonce is Beyonce. And that's, I think, another reason why it, why it deserves to be so high. The rest of the top 10 is uh, Johnny Cash's Hurt video at number two, and then Madonna's Vogue at number three, and Childish Gambino's This Is America at number four, and New Order's The Perfect Kiss at number five, and Beastie Boy's Sabotage, number six, D'Angelo's Untitled at number seven, Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer at number eight, November Rain by Guns N' Roses at number nine, and we already talked about Billie Jean. What among the top 10 uh, is everyone most eager to talk about? My personal top 10, Billie Jean would be number one. I think that's the greatest music video of all time. And Beat It would be number two. I think like those two videos, they, they define the art form for me. And I love how everything else in the top 10 comes from Billie Jean in some way. It's, it's sort of like the fountainhead of it. There's so many great ones on the list. One that I loved seeing was uh, the D'Angelo video, Untitled, How Does It Feel, where it's D'Angelo with abs that made, you know, made a generation of uh, Gen X dudes say, ah, forget it. You know, I'm going to have another bag of potato chips. Just a, a fantastic, confident, charismatic statement that only D'Angelo could have done. It was so audacious and so outrageous and so artistically bold and yet so powerful and effective. I think that's a, just a fantastic. For me, it was a surprise seeing that so high on the list, and I loved seeing it so high on the list. Yeah, I think the thing that I like about the D'Angelo video is that there are a lot of videos, or there are a few, I should say, videos on the list that 
are very heavy on like sexual imagery. Like um, the name, I'm blanking on the name of the Madonna video and people are making out in black and white. Justify my love. Justify my love. Yes. And there's like, uh, but the D'Angelo video is so sexual without being explicit. And I think that that is really cool and really artful. Which you can say about a lot of really great R&B too. And I mean, a very specific subset of R&B, you know, like what I like to call the Barry White subset of R&B, the Loverman subset of R&B, where it's, um, you know, it's as if the singer is very intimately addressing a lover and it's you and only you. And I feel like that video is the visual equivalent of that. There is something so blatantly sexual without being explicitly sexual about D'Angelo standing there rocking the body that the man's rocking and just staring into the camera and singing directly to you regardless of who you are as a viewer that you just feel drawn in by it in the same way that you feel drawn in by the song and this is one of those songs now where it's become inseparable from the video I have this I, I have that D'Angelo album on shuffle on my my iPod because I'm that old and I still have an iPod and I don't listen to music on my phone because of phones for talking to your parents. But uh, every time that song comes Good on, Lord, David. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. so that every time that, sh- that song comes on in a shuffle, like that video plays in front of my eyes, regardless of where I'm at. That's what I'm. That's what I'm seeing, and as I'm hearing the song, and you know, there are a number of videos on this list, not just in the top ten, but kind of scattered throughout. Where I think you said it beautifully earlier. Makapura, where you were like, it creates a moment. It's a video, you know, you have a video that really kind of creates a moment. And it doesn't just create a, a moment socially outside of MTV or outside of YouTube or wherever videos are, are shown these days. It's this kind of idea where it just, it creates a moment that's inseparable from the song and the song's inseparable from the imagery and vice versa. And um, Untitled is a great example of that. That's one of my f- favorite videos. It would probably be in my top five if this list was just David Fear's favorite videos of all time list. Let's talk about November Rain for for a minute. And I truly don't, I love this video. I truly don't know if it's, if it's one of the greatest, I think it's simultaneously one of the greatest music videos of all time. And also certainly perhaps the most ridiculous or, or you know, there's a lot of competition, but, but it, it, it's certainly one of the most ridiculous series of images ever committed to film in the history of the moving image. It, it's just a band just so high on its own supply and just daring you to get as high with them. And, and you sort of do. I mean, I mean, the fact that that Slash agreed to play his solo on the mountaintop is just it's one of the greatest moments in the history of, of music and also one of the most ridiculous moments. Well, uh, who among us at a wedding where we are the best man, who among us has not felt the urge to suddenly walk out of the church without telling anybody, remove one shirt and play a guitar solo on a mountain sob, just, you know, to show how you feel. And then maybe get in a car with, uh, with a, a, a lady who wants to drive off a cliff. You know, there's so much going on. I always loved like when Slash was talking about that video of the day and he's like, I have no idea what happens. I, I've watched it a lot of times. I still don't know what happens. <laughs> I, I will suggest that that is the only video you could do for that song. That song is so incredibly operatic and epic and overwrought and excessive that you really needed a video that had to match all of that ego and ambition that was happening within that band at that moment not just the singer but that band entirely that you had to you had to make something that was the equivalent of that song and damned if they did not do it i can't think of a video 
that uses its, its excess to better effect. Maybe hypnotize. So in the sort of 11 to 20 range, uh, there's a, a few, uh, everything's worth talking about, but uh, Missy Elliott's entry there, the range, Super Dupa Fly, who wants to talk about that for a minute? Because it's, it's such a Hype Williams moment. It's such a trash bag outfit moment. Uh, it's, it's a moment. So this, this video is a little before my engagement with Missy Elliott, but like obviously it's iconic. And I've heard rumblings because Missy has such a huge catalog of incredible music videos. I've heard rumblings of like, why this one? But I think it's, it's because it is her first collaboration with Hype Williams and sort of starts her off on this path to innovate in the field. I think it's really important for in that way. Like I remember the year that Missy won the Video Vanguard award at the MTV Awards, they did a pop-up in Manhattan and there were, se- there were scenes from different music videos of hers. My favorite was Gossip Folks. Like if I were to put a Missy Elliott video on here, I probably would have put Gossip Folks. But that's because I like I have like an emotional attachment to Ludacris, to that song, um, to the bright colors of it. But the thing everyone was in line for at this pop- Missy Elliott pop-up was an activation in which you could insert yourself into the inflatable suit. And so you could, it would take a photo of you, it like digitized it, and you could take it home and you could post it on Instagram, you could do whatever you wanted with it. And I think that's why this video is on the list, because that's what, that's an image of Missy Elliott that none of us are ever going to forget. And there's, you know, there's so much that's awesome about it. The rejection of the sort of sexualization that's foisted on female artists in all genres is one of the many things that, that's cool there. Um, but at but, the same time, yeah. we know Missy is like super sexual in her music. And I think it like she it's just like the the blurb says she was just like, let me just be this hip hop Michelin man. Like, let me just do something that is so eye catching. But I think that it's like, I don't know. I always am hesitant to separate Missy, even if this particular video isn't like hypersexual. I'm always hesitant to like separate Missy from like the sexuality of her music. And, and think totally. about think about the sound of that production, that Timbaland production in that song, and think about the rhythm of her cadences and how how off it feels from everything else that's happening in hip hop at the time. And then think about you you've got this music video and you've got to sell yourself in an image, and suddenly the image is distorting. Like she's sitting there, and suddenly like her head seems like it's three times the size of her body or it's so much smaller. It's like you're seeing her through this weird funhouse mirror or through a really good tab of acid. And it, it just becomes this entirely different thing where you're like, this looks different and it sounds different. And it's a beautiful way of kind of like selling that idea of Missy as being an entirely different hip hop artist while also being a very vital hip hop artist at the, at the exact same time. Missy and Tim, it was their sort of mission statement to the rest of the world. I mean, talk about a video that changed the world. This was basically, hi, we're two kids nobody's heard of from Portsmouth, Virginia. Nobody ever expected a thing for us, but we've got our own genius and we're going to completely change the way music sounds, whether you like that or not. And that wonderful arrogance comes through all through the video. In addition to Missy and Tim themselves, it's such a celebration of late 90s R&B, late 90s hip hop, in the middle of a creative renaissance. So, you know, they've got Little Kim in the video, they've got Total in the video, uh, Aaliyah and, and Yo-Yo, and a shout out to Lauren Hill. Uh, it's not just about them, it's about a moment when uh, hip hop is going through a creative renaissance that just, you know, defined the rest of the decade. And just, 
a really beautiful utopian moment that they're carrying all these other artists along with them, even though they've got a sound that's going to change the world. We were going to talk about Smells Like Teen Spirit, which David Fear did a great write-up of for Rolling Stone's list of the 100 greatest videos of all time. It's not easy to find anything new to say about this video. It's very examined. My, my favorite fact about this video is that supposedly Nirvana picked the director, Samuel Bayer, because he had the worst reel of anyone, because uh, they wanted the video to be sort of shitty. And, and so they picked this guy who, who, in their mind, barely knew what he was doing. Yeah, and apparently there was a lot of contention on the set, too, between um, what he wanted to do and what Cobain and the band wanted to do. And uh, Kurt Cobain was apparently quite a handful in the editing room when they were trying to put stuff together. And uh, I think the result speaks for itself. I mean, Rob brought this up earlier about how, you know, why is Duran Duran suddenly selling all these albums in middle America when they're not necessarily getting like a huge radio push? Uh, we, you can't talk about the history of MTV and the history of music videos specifically without talking about not just the artists they broke, but the type of music that they brought into mainstream America. I mean, hip-hop is eventually going... Hip-hop is destined to blow up as a global phenomenon. But I think Yo! MTV Raps helps speed that up quite substantially. And I think in terms of the musical genre we now affectionately refer to as grunge, you can't overemphasize what it was like to have MTV suddenly play this incredible video of a high school rally run amok which was uh, basically based on partially on a concept of one of Kurt Cobain's favorite movies, the 70s film called Over the Edge, in which students attack a high school while all their parents are locked inside during a PTA meeting, and introduce not just Nirvana, but this kind of sound that Nirvana was bringing from, from Seattle you know, into a, into a much larger sphere. Also, like it's just one of those videos that I've, I've watched so many times, I can't tell you how many times I've watched that video over the years and it just brings up the exact same feeling I had when the, I watched it for the very first time on MTV all those years ago every single time that I watch it that was a big criteria for a lot of these videos that got picked for this list because uh, part of the you know this was something that was like months in the making and I can't speak to Hank Steamer, my co-editor on a lot of this as to what his process was, but a lot of this was me. I had like 500 videos that were potentials that I went back and kept watching to kind of just see like, all right, you know, what do we, what do we want to include? There's got to be the classics. There's got to be some outliers. What do we want to put in here? And a lot of these videos were things that just brought up that feeling that you get when you hear the song, you know, constantly, endlessly, the first time or the thousandth time, or when you watch the video for the first time or the thousandth time. Like, and Smells Like Teen Spirit is one of those videos. I, I still watch it, and it still makes me want to go absolutely wreck a high school gym. That almost reminds me of the Young Thug video that I wrote about, that Young Thug does barely appears in, Wyclef Jean. Like, I don't think about that song without thinking about this video in which the director has to, oh, it's almost like a write-around, like a profile that's a write-around. Thug doesn't show up on the day of the shoot. He sends an idea, and he sends some clips that he shot of himself in like a private jet eating Cheetos. And this director has to create a music video with what they were able to shoot without him. And throughout it, there are these like little quips. Um, they're really uh, kind of disgruntled, but still funny and light. And yeah, I mean, Young Thug is an incredible artist with like a huge discography of great songs. But Wyclef Jean is like the song that I think about the imagery first. It is the ultimate 
making lemonades out of lemons music video. Absolutely. This sort of opposite is, uh, as, as far as a, a video not built around the, the performer, well, that, that actually, that would go for two in the top 20 uh, that I'm looking at, which is Beyonce's Single Ladies, which is monumental video, as Kanye would be the first to tell you. And, uh, and Prince's Kiss. And, you know, Prince's Kiss just captured so much of the essence of Prince. There's so much princeness in this video. It, it just gives you a real sense of, of the sexiness, of the playfulness, of the just monumental, monumental world-conquering levels of charisma uh, that, this, that this man had. Don't- It's hard to cut it down to just one Prince video because he had so many that completely transformed MTV. 1999 being a video that completely redefined MTV and made MTV sort of re-see itself in Prince terms. Little Red Corvette, the most intense, just a dude on stage performing his song, that kind of video, so minimal but so unforgettable. Yet Kiss is kind of the one that's got all the Prince tropes like so perfectly in one song. It tells the story so perfectly. It presents his philosophy of life so beautifully. Uh, It presents his relationship with uh, female artists so beautifully that, you know, his co-star in the video, Wendy Mulvan, like, you know, from his band, you know, famous as Wendy and Lisa Wendy, she's playing guitar. She actually doesn't even play guitar on the song, but he wanted her guitar heroics and her presence as a female musician in the video. So, it's a fantastic video in part because, you know, it's 1986, you're watching MTV, you see this woman in this Prince video, you see Wendy striking all these guitar hero poses, playing guitar, and you would not see that in any other video on MTV that year. The idea of, of a female musician just being a female musician, uh, something so rare, and yet Prince makes her such a beautiful part of the video, and everything about it sort of presents the Prince the Prince way of looking at life, the Prince way of looking at music in such a, a playful and irresistible way. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with Rob 100%. Uh, I agree with what you said, Brian, about basically representing the most, it's the princiest Prince video. The smart choice, I think, would have been to have, or maybe the obvious smart choice would have been to have gone with When Doves Cry, because that feels like a, uh, a game-changing moment for that era of Prince, and in terms of people being exposed to the prince that was very soon going to become, you know, an absolute ubiquitous global superstar after Purple Rain. Uh, I mean, already a superstar with 1999, but like it was an entirely huge level up for him. But I think you guys basically nailed the entire reason why we wanted Kiss specifically. If we were just going to do, you know, one prince video and put it in there, Kiss is the one. Kiss is the one that feels like a great video, a great prince video. It's to a great prince song, and it just kind of oozes all these things about him that um, made him such a vital artist. I I wish that would... One of my regrets about this list is there is not more Prince videos on it. But I'm extremely happy with the choice that we made in terms of Kiss. I want to talk about Drake's hotline bling for a second. You used to call me on my cell phone Day night when you need my love As I said, uh, you know, and, and I think that part of it is just that I've personally found that music videos have lost some of my interest 
in the era when it when they're not thrown in your face as much, you have to seek them out a little bit. Uh, and I miss that source of, you know, of just being able to. Uh, it doesn't have to be MTV, but just you know, like, and obviously you can go on, v- and I've done it. You can go on Vivo on on your Apple TV and get it to play you videos, but it's not as or YouTube can. It's, the algorithm can serve it up, but it's just not quite the same and you have to make an aggressive effort. But anyway, that said, I I found it harder for the imagery of music videos to break through in that sort of monoculture way where you just picture it and it's iconic and people parody it. And there's some, the, the simplicity and brilliance of the hotline bling video cannot be understated. It again sticks to the song in your mind, but it's also imagery that that you know obviously derived. He, he got it from places, but it, there, there's something so special about it. Who 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 wants to speak to that? Yeah, I think the blurb on it really hits the nail on the head when it talks about like the memeability of this video. Like I think for videos to break through the noise today, they have to be able to exist on like. Instagram or Twitter or in a DM or in a text message in like a short clip that is not the whole video because that's not really how we consume um, anything anymore like in its entirety like you have to really be invested in an artist or a creator to want to insu- consume something that they've made in its entirety and so just Drake being willing it, and I think the thing that Drake has always done really well is um, convey vulnerability and just the vulnerability of being willing to dance as like a rapper as like a, a real and like badly you know I think is totally in line with who Drake has been like in our culture and totally in the video and itself just speaks to really how you break through right now. I think you have to go back to the 80s when Billy Joel would do videos where he'd let Christy Brinkley dance to find goofier dancing in a music video. It's it's like Drake, he met the challenge of Christy Brinkley. He met the challenge of Billy Squire. He said, I'm going to do the goofiest dancing. But, you know, like Michael Per said brilliantly, like the goofy dancing, it it added to the emotional vulnerability of the song tribute to the genius of Drake, that he could do a video that focuses on his goofiest dancing and, you know, make it as sexually charismatic as the D'Angelo video. It is one of the things that uh, MTV and music videos did is it forced people who had never thought about choreography before in their lives to do it. I I do think of the Love is a Battlefield uh, video where you had, but I I think she kind of nailed the choreography, didn't she? Absolutely. the dancing in that video, it, it's not just dancing, you know, it's telling a story of, you know, rising up against patriarchy. It's such a beautiful, epic video. Love that video. And, and so revolutionary for its time. Just Pat Benatar in every way ahead of her time. Let's talk about Gaga, because if we're talking about latter day artists who really made music videos their own, I think she, uh, she ranks pretty highly. And the Bad Romance video, as we say in the write-up, does nail that that early wild Gaga thing that she does, David? What do you make of that video as as a, a piece of uh, filmmaking? I think it's easy to forget in the kind of uh, post Tony Bennett, post Star Is Born era of Gaga, in which she has kind of reinvented herself as this um, I don't want to say glamour icon per se, because maybe that feels a little reductive, but is has is no longer wearing meat dresses to award ceremonies per se. It's easy to forget just how crazy Lady Gaga seemed from a visual sense early on in her career. And especially if you weren't like, uh, you know, there in the ground floor, little monster fan of hers to suddenly like see to hear bad romance on the radio. You're sort of like 
that's a really interesting, you know, pop song. That's a really interesting, catchy pop song. I like that. And then to see the video, and you're just like, whoa! Like, Lady Gaga is an incredible visual artist, in addition to being, like, a real, you know, musical force of nature. And um, it's such a great distillation of that early kind of shock of the new that Gaga was bringing, even as she was borrowing elements from decades' worth of pop music and decades' worth of pop visuals to throw in there. It's really the sense where you're sort of like, attention must be paid to this lady whom we shall call Gaga. Absolutely. We're running out of time, but Monkaper, do you want to talk about a couple of your favorites that we haven't had a chance to talk about? Yes. So one of the things that I was thinking about was just the way technology has evolved as far like visual arts technology, as far as what music videos look like. And so when I was going through the list and rewatching or watching for the first time, some of these videos, the ones that kind of illustrated that trajectory for me were like scenario by tribe called quest take on me is so cool you know the um buddy holly video by weezer i thought it was really really cool and once in a lifetime by talking heads like just the way that the graphics all were like you know these are all older videos for the most part and like the way that graphics have just evolved and the way that people are really playing and like pushing the form forward digitally was super, super cool. So that's something that I think that our list highlights really well. I think the one video that we haven't got a chance to talk about that maybe we could have its own podcast, our own podcast on is This Is America. And that one I think is of course like a really controversial video, especially for a lot of black people because it is so violent, you know, like the scene that emulates the massacre in Charleston really hurts me to watch. And it feels almost like uh, insensitive to include something like that. But David sent me this really cool, and I think it's linked in the piece as well, this interview with Ibra Ake, who is um, one of Childish Gambino's collaborators. And he really wanted to highlight that, yes, there are these awful things that happened in this music video, but there's a lot of joy. Donald Glover dancing with these kids that don't end up getting hurt, you know, the big smile on his face. And even though there are like some illusions that are darker under that smile, um, he spoke about the compartmentalization that black people have to do of different parts of their lives that are horrible and beautiful or our lives that are horrible and beautiful. And the video speaks to that in a really interesting way. And, it, and once again, it created a huge moment. It was a huge talking point. And I think that for some people, it you know made that it maybe made them more empathetic. And for some people, it made them feel hurt. But I think overall, it's a it's a powerful piece of art, and it's, it definitely deserves to be high up on the list. I've heard a lot of people argue that it's such an absolutely stellar, super powerful video that it elevates what is a song that on its own is perhaps, some people would argue, not as good as the video, in it, but it doesn't matter because when you combine the two, and it's a very interesting case for the power of, of music videos in that sense. Absolutely, I, I agree. I mean, the song, I think the coolest thing about This Is America as a song is like the chorus of like rappers that it uses, like Young Thug and 21 Savage. I think that's really cool. I think it sonically is a cool song, but yeah, I think the video totally elevates it and there, it, there would not have been the same sort of discourse around This Is America without it. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. And before we go, uh, some of the videos that Makapur just mentioned bring up this fascinating thing and to talk about another podcast that could hold up on this topic is just all the huge videos 
and even not just on this list that absolutely ended up haunting their creators by being too successful. I mean, I, like the Buddy Holly video for Weezer, uh, D'Angelo. Although you know, it's interesting when I when I spend a bunch of time with D'Angelo, he he maintained that the degree to which he was haunted by his abs in that video is um, is exaggerated. But you know, I don't know if he's the most re reliable narrator on that. But you know, the, I, I'm sure it is exaggerated because people acted like that was the only reason why he disappeared for so many years when actually, you know, the, he, there, there were a lot of other reasons. But no doubt, I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, Rob's point about, you know, when other men saw that video, they gave up. It, even if you were that person many years later, you, you might also be tempted to give up. But so it, it's there's a blessing and a curse in, in huge videos. And that's and it, it, it's amazing how many that you can go down and, and say, oh, well, they regret that one. Yeah, George Michael made every video a rejection of his previous videos. That's kind of like his beautiful thing. So Faith is a genius video because he's completely rejecting his Wham persona. He's turning his back on that. And then Freedom 90, which is way up high on the list as it should be, is him rejecting the Faith video and setting fire to his leather jacket. There's something kind of beautiful about the way he made every video a repudiation of the previous one. But like Brian said, you know, there's a long history of people being haunted by their successful videos. Uh, Blind Melon being a great example. They they talked about how, <laughs> how the B-Girl had ruined their lives. And uh, I, I've always loved the way Duran Duran talked about the Rio video. You know, they, they said, we spent one day of our lives just like acting like douches on a yacht, you know, but it's the only time any of them, for most of them, it's the only time they hung out on a yacht. Nick Rhodes has often said, I hate boats. I only go near them if they're tied up and drinks are being served. But playing around on this yacht, it, it defined them in, in a beautiful kind of image. And that's part of the blessing and curse of music videos. It, and it's even random ones that haunt people. I, I once, in one of the few times that Rolling Stone has ever talked to Brian Adams in the last uh, 25 years, I had him on the phone. And uh, he was, I forgot how it came up, but he, he's, he was haunted by the, every, the only thing that looks good on me is you video in which he, he wore a bunch of designer clothes. He felt that people thought he was trying to remake his image and, that, but, and, and he was very hurt by that. And he's always the jeans and t-shirt guy, but somehow, but people thought that, you know, he was trying to be cool in that video and he just wanted people to know it was just for the video. And I was like, all right, man. Like, but anyway. On behalf of all the dozen want... people who saw that video, you are forgiven. Oh, you saw that video, you Rob. You don't forgiven. know that video. You know that video, Rob. No, I, 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 I do oh, know that yeah. video. I, that's, yeah, I'm yeah, one I'm of those okay. dozen people. Okay, there you go. Yeah, I'm, I was like, please don't. Yeah, don't. The, come the on. edgy no. Brian Adams video. Yes, yeah. I remember his edgy <laughs> yeah. face. <laughs> right, you right. He, he would just like it. <laughs> Love him. Brian so, Adams. so, yes, we, we had to end with Brian Adams as, as, you know, for the first time in any episode. We, we've mentioned the name Brian Adams. But that has been our episode on Rolling Stone's list of the top 100 videos of all time. And I recommend actually checking out the list. And then you can argue with it on Twitter or wherever your preferred place to argue is. We welcome that. David Fear welcomes that. But thanks so much to Monka Percante and David Fear and Rob Sheffield. We'll be back next week here on Sirius XM's volume, channel 106. In the meantime, Rolling Stone Music Now is a podcast, of course. Download us wherever you get your podcasts, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get them. Maybe leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. That is always appreciated. But as always, 
Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.